We continue worshiping God now as we come to the gospel lesson. Thank you, choir. We do indeed not walk alone, and we hear that now in this morning's gospel reading. And so I invite you, as you're able, to stand with me for the reading. So he, Jesus, came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that sang it to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well with his sons and his flocks, drank from it? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that this place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must spirit, worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So before we dig into the word this morning, I need to clear something up. Uh, When I came up with the sermon series, Not in the Desert Alone, I did not have self-quarantining in mind, (laughs) all right? But believe me, even though I didn't imagine it or social distancing like we're experiencing today as uh, we deal with this pandemic around us, I didn't know, but, and I didn't know that, uh, as we tackled these tough issues these weeks in God's word about temptation and hardship 
And today, brokenness, and next week, reality, and the following week, loss, that those topics would be so timely or poignant. But I didn't know, but God did. And that's why it's absolutely crucial to remember the psalmist this morning, to remember God's word, that he indeed is a very present help in time of trouble. And as we read already this morning, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And so, as we come to the question of brokenness this morning, we remember that often in our brokenness, we all long for the quickest, most satisfying, uh, easy answer that will fill that void. We'll binge on food or Netflix or money or maybe lately toilet paper. But in our brokenness, in our brokenness, all those things, while they may in some cases be absolutely needed, probably not Netflix, but uh, we might have a debate on that from some. But in Christian love, now is the time, now is the time to love our neighbor, to love our sisters and brothers in Christ in need. And of course, that time is always the time. <laughs> and now is also the time to remember that only when we face brokenness, only reconciliation with God through his living water that we heard about today can satisfy the longing of our hearts for all of those other things that we binge on. Uh, they have a, a short shelf life. They don't fill those gaps or holes. And so, as we come to this today, we remember that God's living water, the living water that Jesus gives, is the only thing that will satisfy the, the, the thirst that we have. The late non-Christian intellectual David Foster Wallace, who I've quoted before in his uh, now famous commencement speech, Everybody Worships, reminds us that these things we binge on only have a short shelf life. He says that if we worship money and things, if they are uh, where you tap real meaning in, then you will never have enough. He talks about if we worship our own body and beauty and sexual allure, you'll always feel ugly when time and age start showing you'll feel like dying a million deaths, he writes, before they finally plant you. If we worship power, we'll always feel weak and afraid and we'll never ever more need, we'll never have enough power over others to keep that fear at bay. If we worship our intellect being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on, and so on, and so on. 
And as this intellectual came to the realization, not even a man in Christ, but knowing that when we put our worship into things and anything that is not eternal, they always fall short. And so today, friends, I invite you to meet, as we meet the physical needs of the world around us, and we do that with love for our neighbor, and that is crucial, we also remember this simple yet profound truth that we need to let our souls take rest in the one who will finally quench its thirst. You may be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know the brokenness that I've experienced or my friends or my family. And what I want to share with you today now as we turn our attention keenly to this text is that Jesus doesn't proclaim this problem, this promise of living water in a vacuum. He doesn't do it in to a perfect situation, a perfect world, or a perfect person. He preaches it to a woman well acquainted with her own imperfection. All scholars agree that she came at noon to the well, to Jacob's well, at least a half a mile from Sychar, farther away than probably most would travel from her own town. Why? Normally, folks, the women would come in the morning to gather water. She came at noon. She traveled farther to avoid interaction. This is for a whole different social distancing reason. She did not want the ridicule. She did not want to be shamed. And so she wanted to be there alone. And when Jesus broke through all kinds of barriers to speak to her, I like how one uh, commentator put it, she wanted to talk about anything but her life. <laughs> you know, she, she tried to bring up theology, politics, anything to avoid her life. But Jesus kept bringing the context back to her. You see, he neither affirmed her circumstance nor brought judgment. Instead, what he brought was reconciliation. He brought reconciliation. This is what the law does. It brings us to the gospel. The law brings us to the gospel. We don't throw out the law. We need it to take us to the gospel. And so we neither say that wrongs are right or try to call rights wrong. We let the word of God speak and it speaks boldly as the law convicts us. It doesn't, because of Christ, it doesn't bring us to judgment outside of Christ. Maybe, yes, that's true. But in Christ, what he's teaching her and he's teaching us that in Christ, the law no longer brings us to judgment. It brings us 
to the gospel for all those in Christ Jesus. Jesus brings this real gift to you in your life. Outside of the gospel, our souls thirst. Outside of Christ, we are lost. But what is Christ longing to do for her and for us? But to bring us to the gospel. To bring us to reconciliation in our brokenness. In this real broken world, in your imperfect life and mine, he doesn't ignore our circumstance. As we turn toward him, he doesn't ignore it. He redeems it. William Barclay quotes the American novelist Sinclair Lewis uh, thinking about this kind of reconciliation, this kind of redemption, this kind of thirst that we long for. And, and he quotes Sinclair Lewis, who draws the picture of a respectable uh, businessman uh, who talks about the girl he loves. And he says, on the surface, we seem quite different, but, we, but deep down, we are fundamentally the same. We are both desperately unhappy uh, about something. <laughs> And we don't know what it is. For in each of us, he writes, there is the nameless, unsatisfied longing, this vague discontent, this something lacking, this frustration. And Jesus tells the woman at the well, and he tells you and I, with that thirst that seems unquenchable, that he can quench it. He can bring reconciliation to our brokenness. In the secular world uh, around us, we long to fix this unsatisfied longing with all kinds of devices. As we recall, David Foster Wallace soon discovered those wells run dry. But the thirst that Jesus quenches, the, the is the same thirst, the same question really that the woman asked Jesus is the question that we have now. Where can I get this water? (laughs) And isn't it fitting on a weekend that our leadership had to determine about what to do about worship in this place that Jesus would remind her that getting this water, that worshiping God is no longer about a place. In fact, it never really was. It was always about a who. And that who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one who can finally reconcile our brokenness. A brokenness that no paycheck, no report card or grade, no relationship, nothing else can ever satisfy it's, it's not a place, for now we worship in spirit and truth, Jesus says. No place, no thing can save us. No brokenness, however, is too broken. No situation 
Even the ones we find ourselves in now is too dire. Jesus is the well of life. You know, the Jews, as one commentator noted, had another way of using uh, the word water. They often spoke of the thirst of the soul for God. And they often spoke of quenching that thirst with, as Jesus would say, and as the Jews knew, so they knew what he was talking about when, they said, when he said this, with living water. Jesus was not using terms that were bound to be misunderstood. He was using terms uh, with a spiritual insight that the folks around him would certainly understand. He was making clear who he was. He was making a bold proclamation that he is the Christ. In the book of Revelation, that promises to the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. The lamb, it says, is to lead them to the springs of living waters. Jesus is that lamb. He is leading us. Luther will tell us that even if we all dip from it without stopping, it cannot be emptied, he writes. But it remains a perennial font of all grace and truth, an unfathomable well, an eternal fountain. The more we draw from it, the more it gives. Such water, as Jesus will say, is wells up eternal life. Friends, whatever may come, however empty or full our shelves may be, we have the well of life. And knowing we are loved should compel us to love our neighbor in every way imaginable during good times and hard days. For we are not alone in the desert. We know the one who reconciles our brokenness. He is indeed a very present help in time of trouble. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Amen.